Thank you for what you've been teaching us in the book of Hebrews. And, and Lord, this great truth of how by the blood of Jesus Christ we can enter into the very holiest of holies, Lord. And, and you've shown us how to find that place. And, and Lord, as we're going to see to that today that place is outside the camp. It's outside where a lot, of, a, a lot of people are looking right now. They're looking in the wrong place. They're looking to their religion or they're looking to their, their, their back family background or to some other way to try to enter your holiest of holies, Lord. And, and, and as we're going to find today, where we're going to find you is outside the camp, Lord, in a, in a place all by yourself uh, and only by your blood and by the sacrifice that you made for us at Calvary can we enter into the holiest of holies and to the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. So Lord, teach us these last few truths and Lord, again, we thank you for all you've taught us and we just ask that you bless this study by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews and we'll be in the very last chapter of Hebrews and we'll be picking up down in verse number 10 today. You've heard me say on several occasions that I believe we're living in a time where very distinct lines are being drawn between darkness and light, between what's good and what's evil. It's even taking place in the church because even in the church we're seeing lines drawn between what's absolute truth and what's maybe relative truth. And those distinctions are being made. And, and while all of this is going on, there's this great call, uh, or there's this call for ecumenical unity uh, within the denominations. And it's getting louder and louder, and pretty much what we're being told is either you get on board with this ecumenical camp or else. Now, someone... I'm sure might be thinking at this point, I mean, doesn't the Bible call for unity? Certainly the Bible calls for unity. Uh, don't we want to be part of the main camp? Yeah, if the main camp is, 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 is correct in their theology, we certainly want to be part of the main camp. But if the main camp is apostate, then we don't want to have anything to do with it. And so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today uh, is... is how Jesus was crucified outside the main camp. Last week, uh, Ron Guidry sent me an article. It kind of shows you where the main camp is heading right now. Uh, it's about a, uh, it, it was uh, about a, a lesbian bishop of the Lutheran Church of Sweden, which, by the way, is the largest Lutheran denomination in the world, and I certainly would consider Lutherans mainstream Protestants. So this, he sent me this article, and let me read you. You can already see there's a problem when you have a lesbian bishop, but she's one of the main bishops in the Lutheran Church in Sweden. And, and just reading you a portion of that article, it says, Bishop Eva Brun has proposed to remove all Christian symbols from the Lutheran Church in Freeport to make it more inviting for visiting sailors of others' religions. Her plans call for removing a the removing of crosses and other Christian symbols while setting up a prayer room inside the church that marks the direction to Mecca. Now, to Mecca. Now that's just one example of where the main camp is heading. And I can't 
be in harmony uh, with those who believe the way some of these denominations are believing or the things that they are believing. I mean, one of, and I think the biggest problem I see with the main camp is more and more we're hearing that all roads lead to heaven. That, there's, that, that, that uh, you can be uh, part of any religion and eventually everybody's going to, God is love and the God of the New Testament is different from the Old Testament and he's nothing but love and everybody eventually is going to make it to heaven. So it really doesn't matter if you take down the cross. It doesn't really matter if you have a room uh, pointing toward Mecca. Uh, hey, we're all going to make it uh, uh, there anyway. Now, I can't be part of a camp that doesn't, that believes such things or doesn't base its theology on the whole counsel of the Word of God. Now, when we left off last time, the author of Hebrews was kind of giving us that warning. Uh, he, was, he was saying to us that, that uh, we're not to unite uh, with anybody just for the sake of harmony for what I called kumbaya last week. He told us that we're to, if you look back at verse uh, number seven, he told us to consider those who are in charge of us, who lead us, who speak the word to us, and make sure that the word that they're speaking to us is the same word as the word of God in this Bible. Why? Because look at verse number eight. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And then in the last verse, he explained to us that the number one mark of false religion is that they placed their emphasis on salvation through law, salvation through works, sanctification by law, sanctification by works. And so uh, they want to tell you, as it says in verse number nine, they want to tell you what to eat, what not to eat, what to do and what not to do. Now, the main reason that the author wrote the book of Hebrews was that he was writing to a group of so-called Christian Jews and they were beginning to fall back under law. They were beginning to buy this idea that you had to not only uh, believe in Jesus Christ, you had to also make sacrifices for your sin. And so they were going back to the temple to make sacrifices for their sin. And so what he's writing this book is to tell them that hey, there's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved. There's no other way to remove your sins except by the cross. There's no other way to get into the very presence of God except by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and when we do that, when we do come by the cross, we have access to God. And, and but that's not what's being taught in mainstream religion today. And, and, if, and if, if we believe that, and that puts us outside the camp, then so be it. That's where we need to be. All right, now, let's pick up in verse number 10. Look at what he says there in verse number 10. Immediately there he says, for we have an altar. Maybe a better translation there. We have one altar. Now, you thought, would you give a thought for that for a minute? Don't guess out loud. I don't want you to mess, the, mess where I'm heading up, but... But uh, don't make a guess. But we have one altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, you're going, he's saying to these Jews, you're going to the Hebrews 
for your religion and the people that you're going to have no right to even eat at our altar. We have one altar. Now, when Paul, or the author of Hebrews was writing this, uh, he lived in a culture that was where there were altars everywhere. I mean, in the Roman Empire that day, altars were an integral part of that culture because they had all sorts of gods and goddesses. And for each god, they had a temple. And at each temple, they had an altar. And at that altar, sacrifices of animals were made. And, and not only that, most of the families in the, in, in the Roman Empire had their own shrines. And in those shrines, they had their own altar. They had a shrine to their god, and they had an altar to their god. I had the privilege when I was in college to go to the ruins of Pompeii uh, near Naples. And that's, I think, one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life because what happened there in Pompeii, the, Mount, uh, the, the volcano Vesuvius erupted and it covered the, the town of Pompeii in a matter of hours. And so the entire culture was preserved under this, this lava and ash. And uh, once they started digging it out, I mean, you could even see the expressions of the, well, they would pour uh, concrete or, or plaster into the, the, the cavities where the bodies had rotted and you could actually see the expression on the person's face as they were dying uh, from the, uh, it wasn't a very good expression, as they were dying from the, the heat and, and uh, suffocation from the lava. And, and, but what's neat about that place, you can also see the entire culture as it was in that day. You can actually see signs on the wall. They were having an election and you could see viva so and so. But you would also see at almost every house there was an altar. There was a shrine, and in that shrine was an altar where they worshipped their God. So the Jews had an altar too, and what was their altar? They would go to the temple, and their altar was the brazen altar. Uh, uh, the brazen altar where the sin sacrifices were made. By the way, you can, we, we talked about the date of this book when we introduced it. This is one reason we know for sure that this book was written sometimes before, before 70 A.D. because the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and it was still standing when, he, when, it, when Paul, or the author of Hebrews, uh, uh, wrote the book. So, Paul makes this, or I keep saying Paul because I'm going to convince you today that Paul wrote this book. I don't want to say it because... Because I have, you have scholars that would say, oh, look at that guy, man. He's, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he believes Paul wrote Hebrews. And people laugh at you for that. But I, I still, I stick with the fact that I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And I'm going to show you some more reasons I believe that today. But anyway, the author of Hebrews makes this point And he says, you're going to the brazen altar, but we have one altar. One altar and only one altar. And it's not the altar in the temple. He made the point earlier that the altar in the temple was just a shadow of the true altar. And so, so what is our altar? What is our altar? You know, there's all sorts of people who have different ideas or, or, or people have all sorts of different ideas about what that altar is. A lot of people believe that the altar is the table, and we don't do that here at Calvary Chapel, but it's the table where we put the elements for the Lord's Supper. A lot of people believe the altar is the front of the church. You ever heard the term altar call? We do that in <clears throat> Protestantism. We, we have altar calls. Now, 
I used to tell the church, I haven't told you all this yet, but I used to tell the church I pastored before, you guys are more Catholic than the Catholics. And, and I think sometimes Protestants, because we get a lot of our faith or a lot of our traditions and liturgy from the Catholic church, we, we hang on to a lot of that stuff. And the Catholics do believe, and other denominations do believe, that, that when you take the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, that you are at the altar and you're actually partaking of the literal blood and body of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's called transubstantiation. There are actually people, by the way, or pastors, by the way, in our denomination, which we're non-denominational, but within Calvary Chapel that teach transubstantiation. I don't believe in transubstantiation at all. And I don't think the author of Hebrews believed in transubstantiation transubstantiation at all which means the blood the, the, the bread is turned to the body of Jesus Christ and the, the, the grape juice or the wine is turned into the blood of Jesus Christ but we have altar calls we, we talk about coming to the altar come to the altar and get saved or come to the altar and pray we got to be real careful with that because what we're saying basically is there's some sort of sacrament taking place if we come forward to the altar. And that is not true. As the author of Hebrews says very clearly, we have one altar. One altar. And what altar is that? Who can tell me what that altar is? That's your altar right there. Exactly right. That cross is your altar. And we don't just come to the altar to get saved. We live at that altar. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up what? His cross daily and follow me. How do we take up our cross daily? How do we take up our cross daily? We deny ourselves. By every day we get up and say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't live this Christian life on my own. It's, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I come to the cross and I'm crucified with Christ. I need your power to live this life. It's by your power that I can go in the Holy of the Holy. It's by your blood that I'm made perfect. And so every day we come to the cross. So, and, and that's how we approach God. We come to the altar, we come to the cross. Your prayers are not going to be effective. Your prayers, God's not even going to listen to your prayers if at first you don't come by the way of the altar, by the way of the cross. That's how we get into the holiest of holies. As Jesus said, we have to eat of his body, of his flesh, and drink of his blood. Jesus said that. Yeah, Jesus said that. Go with me to John chapter Six for uh, yeah, John chapter six for a minute. Just a few books back. You know when he started talking about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. You remember what happened? Many of his disciples left. They they said, "Man, this guy's nuts. I mean, what's he talking about? Eating of." his flesh and drinking of his blood. I mean, look at verse number, go to John chapter 6, and so, so you know that he's the one who said it. Look at John chapter 6, verse number 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
So if you don't know what it, so if, if you don't eat of his flesh and drink of his blood and you don't understand what that means, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, here's where some denominations take that wrong. They take that literal. If you go a little further in the text, Jesus said these words are spiritual. I'm speaking spiritual words to you. I mean, here's what he means by that. When, when, we, when he says drink of his blood or drink of my blood, he's referring to, to, to partaking of his blood. Partaking of his blood. And what does his blood do for us? His blood cleanses us, we're told in 1 John, of all unrighteousness. So we have to partake of his blood. Now, I don't know how that happens. Where do I find his blood? At the altar. It's where you found the blood of the animals. You find it at the altar. So all I got to do is get to the cross. And if I get to the cross, then I'm going to partake of his blood. I'm going to eat of his blood when I come to the cross. And I, I, how often do I come to the cross? I come to the cross daily. How often does Jesus get up on the cross? Not every time we do communion, as some people teach. He got up on the cross when? By one offering, he has sanctified those who believe in him forever. By one offering. He's only going to get up on the cross one time. But when we come to the cross, then we partake of his blood. And, and we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. There's one other thing about the blood. We're told, what, what else are we told? We, we saw this in the book of Hebrews earlier. There, the life is in what? In the blood. So when we partake the, of the blood, we receive his blood life we receive the spirit of god and we only receive that by the blood now a lot of people are saying man you're talking a lot about the blood man there there is nothing but the blood there's power in the blood now do i understand how that works how god allows me to partake of his blood no i think somehow spiritually we are sprinkled with the blood of christ and there's power in that blood. And that blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That blood gives us life. But we also eat of his body. How do we eat of his body? Well, he tells us that. Go with me over to, to verse number 57. Same chapter of John. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. How do you feed on Jesus Christ? How do you eat of his flesh? This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your father ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. What's the bread? We'll jump to verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. I mean, you don't really literally eat of his flesh. The words that I speak to you are spirit. The words that I speak to you. What's the words that he speaks to us? This, these are the words that he speaks to us. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. There are two ways that you are imparted life through Jesus Christ. One is through his blood. By coming to the altar of the cross. The other way that you're imparted life is by the word of God. And the reason there are so many anemic Christians in this world is because they're not coming to the word of God. Now, they've come to the cross and they've received the blood and, and, and they're, they're partaking of the blood, but they're not eating of his flesh. They're not partaking of the word. And his words are spirit and his words are life. 
You know, if you don't eat of the word of God, it's just like a person who doesn't eat any food. I'm sure all of you, when you leave here today, are going to head somewhere to eat. Well, because your bodies need food. Amen, that's right. Well, we get a big amen out of this fleshly congregation and fleshly pastor too. Amen. But we don't want to starve ourselves as Christians. I mean, I, I, I'm glad here at Calvary Chapel we teach verse by verse through the Bible. I think that's great. And I look around at your Bibles and I can tell by how much you read them, by how much gold and silver there is on the side. You might want to scrape that off before you come next time. Y'all leave Bibles in here sometime and I pick them up and I mean, it looks like they've never been opened. I mean, you got, the pages are still sticking together. The only time they're open is when you come in here. I'm not, I don't want to be legalistic about reading the Bible, but I don't, you don't, I'm not legalistic about where we're going to eat today. We're going to eat where, where it's good. We're going to eat where we, we get full of where we, you know, where there's good fellowship and all that. We fellowship in the Word. We get filled in the Word. You get refreshed in the Word. The Word is life. The Word is spirit and the Word is life. So, man, you've got to get in the Word more than just Sunday morning. And, and, and whatever you do that, I mean, make it, a, make it a priority to get in the Word of God. Now, go back will be to Hebrews to verse number 11. This is really sad what we're going to read right here. To me, it's really heartbreaking what we're about to read. Actually, is it verse number 11? Yeah, verse number 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. You understand what he's saying right there? In, in the sacrificial system, when the animals were killed or sacrificed. They would drain the blood and then they would take the meat and they would burn it on the altars and offer it up to, to the Lord and what was left the priest got. But there was a carcass left there. A worthless, unholy carcass. A big old lamb or a big old calf or a big old heifer rather. And they would take that and they would throw it out of the camp as worthless and burn it. That's not what's so sad. What's so sad is the next verse. Look at the next verse. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify, make us perfect by his blood. The people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. You understand what that's saying right there? What it's saying is what John said about Jesus. He made the world and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. You know how they received him? As a worthless, unholy carcass. Not to even, not, they didn't even want to kill him in Jerusalem. They wanted him to suffer outside the gates, outside the camp. And then look what he says in verse number 13. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp. Where do we find Jesus? You're going to find him in mainstream religion. It used to be maybe you could. I don't think so anymore. You're going to find him in, when you're feeding of this word, when you're partaking of his body, when you're partaking of his, his blood. That's where you're going to find Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. You know, Here's really what he's saying. 
If you've got a choice between harmony and unity with the apostate church or serving Christ outside the camp, then where do we want to go? We want to go outside the camp. But when we go outside the camp, we're going to risk reproach. See, here was the problem with these Jews. These Jews were trying to have their cake and eat it too. My wife says that's a silly expression, and I think maybe it is, but I think you understand what I'm saying right there. That what they were trying to do, they were cozying up to the Jews, and they wanted to be part of Judaism, but they were cozying up with the very people who crucified Jesus outside the camp of Judaism. They didn't want him in the camp of Judaism. See, there are a lot of denominations today and there are a lot of believers today that, that don't want to risk reproach. Because if you really believe there's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except Jesus Christ, you risk being called a bigot. You risk, you risk reproach. And so in order to get along, we just kind of meld ourselves with worldly precepts. And we say, you know, there are other ways to get to heaven. We'll accept any way you can get to heaven. I... I'm not going to name names today. Somebody sent me a text a while back accusing me of putting down certain pastors who they thought were really great pastors. I, I don't know many times I, I, I name names. I could tell you the person they named that I maybe was putting down. I might give you their initials every once in a while. But, but when I hear pastors who are called America's pastors and they're asked on, on national TV if, if, uh, if, there are other ways to heaven other than Jesus Christ. And they say, well, I, you know, God is a God of love. And, and, you know, I'm not God. And I can't judge what God's going to do. So I, I have to believe that in his mercy and his love that all, everybody might have a chance to get heaven. Muslims and Jews and, and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and all these people, they, they all have a good chance of getting to heaven. Do you understand what you're saying when you say that? You're trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. Because what you're saying is the blood wasn't necessary. You, what you're really saying, God, you're stupid. Because why would you hang on a cross when there's another way? And so I can't be part of that camp. And if that makes you mad and you want to text me, I don't know who did it. I don't, think, I don't see anybody here I would think right now would have done that. But, but so be it. You know, well, I'm, I'm, we'll go on to the next verse. Verse number 14. <laughs> Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city. You know, it's okay. It's okay to, if we have to suffer outside the camp. It's okay if we're not popular, what he's saying right there. That's Okay. For here we have no continuing city. You know what's really sad? There was a time in the United States of America when I thought, you know, you, 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 really, you really weren't even hoping for the rapture. Things were so good. And things were pretty moral. 
We had a decent government. We had a decent, we had decent people. But we, over the past 20 years or so, I've watched this country disintegrate exponentially right before my eyes. Morally and spiritually, it's just, it's, it seems to be going down the tubes. And I don't have a problem with this verse anymore at all. Because I find myself more and more to be a pilgrim. I found myself more and more not to be a citizen of the United States, but be a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. And we have a continuing city. But we, for we have no continuing city on this earth, but we have one to come. We have the heavenly Jerusalem to come. Therefore, by him, by who? By Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up sacrifice and praise. Let me tell you what, the only way you can praise God, the only way God's going to hear you is if you know Jesus Christ. If you're saved by Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's the only way you can praise him. And, and you know what? This world doesn't praise him. You can't watch a movie anymore that they don't curse. You could be a, a kid's movie. And they're going to curse his name over and over again. He says, therefore, by him, let, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know, in the Mosaic law, they had two categories of sacrifices. They had the sin offerings. Those were mandatory. You had to participate in the sin offerings in order to be part of that nation, in order to be part of the nation of the people of God. You had to participate in those. And they had various sin offerings that, that, that they made. But they also had what were called the free will offerings. And they were voluntary. You, 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 get, you made those offerings because you wanted to do that. Because you loved the Lord and you were so grateful to the Lord that you wanted to praise and thank the Lord. And so you gave free will offerings. Well, we have one sin offering. One sin offering. And what is that? It's at the altar. Where's the altar? The cross. Is that mandatory? You better believe it's mandatory. And all of these denominations are saying it, that it is not mandatory are in the camp. And I'm outside that camp. It is mandatory. If you want to be perfected by Jesus Christ, and how many people are going to get to heaven? Who's going to get to heaven? Let me reword that. Only those who are absolutely perfect. And if you want to be perfected enough to go to heaven, you have to come to the cross. You have to drink of his blood and eat of his flesh, or you will not be made righteous. That's the only way. So that's a mandatory offering. If, if you want to go into the presence of God, when they went before the, into the presence of God, only one person could do it. It was the high priest on the day of atonement. And the veil separated the rest of the people. And he went in and made an offering. And that's the only way he could go before God. Well, that veil has been ripped apart for those of us who know Christ. And by one offering, at that altar, we can enter the very holiest of holies but that's mandatory that's mandatory but you know what there are also free will offerings free will offerings free will offerings are, are voluntary offerings and he gives us in this text right here in these two verses i just read you he gives us three of them 
And I think these are the three. Service. I mean, praise rather first. He gives the thanksgiving and then service. Those are free will offerings. They're not mandatory offerings. You're not going to be any better. God's not going to love you anymore. You're not going to be any more righteous if you praise the Lord. You're not going to be any more righteous. God's not going to love you anymore if you thank the Lord. God's not going to love you anymore, and you're not going to be any right, more righteous if you serve the Lord. But you know what? You read the Gospels, and who were the wicked servants? The wicked servants were those who didn't thank the Lord, who didn't praise the Lord, who didn't serve the Lord. And you know where they ended up? In hell, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they were never saved. They were so-called servants. They really never put their trust in the Lord. Hey, how do we praise God? We praise God in the name of Jesus Christ. And not only in words only. You know how we praise God? We praise God by believing God. We praise God through our faith. You know, it's real easy to praise God when, when things are going really good in our life. The test of faith and the test of if you truly have a heart of praise towards the Lord, the test is how, how, do you, how do you talk to the Lord when things are going terrible? Can you still praise Him then? Hey, you got a good heart if you can do that. I mean, sometimes we're going to fail on that. Man, I certainly have failed in the past. And it's by the Spirit that we have a heart full of praise. Hey, we're to give thanks. We're to give thanks for what? For Jesus. For Jesus and, and that altar and that cross. We give thanks. And we don't just give thanks with words. You know, you, you can determine. I'm not trying to get in your wallets, Dave. If you want to grab them real quick, you can. But your giving, your giving is an is a indicator of how thankful you are to the Lord. If you don't give anything back to the Lord, I mean, in some form or fashion in, in your time and in, in, your, in, your, in your money, you're not really grateful to the Lord. And then service. You know, service. Service is not something mandatory that we have to do, but, but if we love the Lord, we're going to want to serve the Lord. Because what, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. If you really love, it, love me, you're going to serve the least of these. You're going to serve hurting people. You're going to do your best to serve hurting people. Then go on to verse number 17. Now, this verse is a refrigerator magnet verse. So when you go home, I want you to put this verse on your refrigerator. And Diane LaFleur is not here today, but if y'all would be sure to give her a copy of this verse when you see her. <laughs> Obey those who rule over you. Now, he's talking about pastors and teachers here, by the way. He's not talking about kings. And be submissive. Boy, I'm going to ride with that verse for a while. <laughs> Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Let me, let me reword that a little bit. He is really talking about pastors and teachers. But what he's saying right here is obey those who lead you. Peter's real clear that a pastor is not to lord over anybody. I'm not your lord. I don't make your decisions. Jesus is your lord. 
But God has given me the great privilege of imparting the word of God to you. The teachers in, in Sunday school, he's given them that great privilege. And we're to be submissive to them. We're to care about it. We're to, we're to be good listeners. We're to be submissive. That's what he means. Good hearers of the word. For they watch out for your souls. You know, my job is to watch out for your soul. To keep you away from false teaching. To try to impart the truth to you. That's my job. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. You remember what James said in, in chapter, that old prophet James in chapter 3? You remember what he said? He said, those who desire to be teachers, hey man, watch out. You're going to be judged with a stricter judgment. A stricter judgment in this life. I believe he's talking not, not in the eternal life, but in this life. You're going to be judged with a stricter judgment. So you want to be a teacher? Hey, watch out. And then, I love this last part right here. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that's unprofitable to you. If you've got a pastor who, who is burnt out and doesn't care, that's unprofitable to you. Because a good pastor is going to be praying for you. A good pastor is going to be digging in this word as hard as he can to try to, to impart that word to you. So you don't want him grieved. You want him happy. Now, y'all get that. I told you it goes on your refrigerator. What grieves me? You know what grieves me? You know, I get grieved every Sunday morning. Not with you guys. I get grieved every Sunday morning when I'm riding a church and I, I pass about 10 campers. And I pass about five boats. And then I, I pass some church that's teaching heresy and it's packed to the gills. And then I get to church and, I, you know, I mean, I mean, I get to Ambassador Caffrey and, the, and it's already backing up to get to the mall. You know, I remember when I was a kid on Sunday, the streets were almost empty, even places where they didn't have blue laws and the churches were packed. It grieves me that, that, that in this country nobody cares about church. You know, church has become something you do when you have nothing else to do. I mean, people make, put church on the back burner. That grieves me. It grieves me when people don't listen. You know what? I got to say this. You guys are, you guys are great. I, I, you, guys, you, guys are a, a, you guys listen. And I really appreciate that. For the most part, y'all are good listeners. I see when I'm, even a couple of weeks ago when I went, you, you were thinking, is he ever going to shut up? <laughs> I mean, y'all still were listening. I was like, man, I'm going to keep going. These guys are still listening. But it grieves me when people don't listen. I, you know, it grieves me when a cell phone goes off. I've got a joke in there. I, I, know, if, I know if they had had cell phones in Moses' day, the 11th commandment would have been, the 11th commandment would have been, thou shalt not let thou cell phone go off in the tabernacle, or thou shalt be stoned. <laughs> I was going to tease y'all day and have Nathan call me at this point, but I, I didn't do it. That really doesn't grieve me. I, I, it bothers me a little bit. It, that doesn't grieve me. 
again, what grieves me the most is, is, is not so much what's happening here, but what's happening in our country. Really grieves me. Should grieve us all. What gives me joy? What gives me joy when I see people listening to the word and they get saved? When I see you guys being changed by the word, where you're not so much hearers of the word, but you become doers of the word. You know what gives me the most joy? Is when I see you guys developing a passion for Jesus Christ. More than anything I, more than anything I want for you is that you'll have a passion for Jesus Christ. More than anything else. Because if you've got a passion for Jesus Christ, everything else is going to be okay. You might go through some tough times, but everything else is going to be okay. And that's profitable to you. So profitable to you. And then he says in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the apostles, he was saying. Pray for us. For we're confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. We desire to live honorably, so pray for us. You know, the best prayer you could pray for me, the little short prayer, it's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's called the prayer of Jabez. I love that prayer. I pray that prayer all the time for myself. I mean, what's he pray? He says, bless me indeed. What a great way to start a prayer. Bless me indeed, Lord. Everybody says you got to go, oh, Holy Father, you got to get the Lord into this thing before you can say it. But I just come out, bless me indeed, Lord. And what's the greatest blessing of all is to be in the presence of God. Amen. Bless me indeed, Lord. Expand my territory. Don't give me a bigger church so that I can be a more important pastor. Give me a bigger church so that more people will hear your word and more people will get saved. Expand the territory. Pray that for this church. Lord, may your hand be upon me. Man, don't you want that? Don't you want the Lord's hand upon you, guiding you and empowering you? And then the last part of that prayer is, keep me from evil so that I don't cause pain to others. Beware if you think you stand lest you fall. We can all fall. I don't care what position you're in. And we want to be sincere and diligent in our prayers to pray for God to keep us from evil. Don't think that you can withstand evil because let me promise you, evil can get the best of you and it can get the best of your pastor. And so pray those things for me and pray those things for yourself. Now we come finally to the benediction and closing of Hebrews. And you'll see where well, the reason I was slipping up and saying Paul is, is the author as we look at these last few verses. He says, but I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner to pray for me, that I may be restored. Apparently he was in bondage, in chains. Well, we know Paul was in chains, right, when he wrote most of his letters. And then he says, now, may, boy, I, this is how I know this is Paul. Nobody can put an entire theology in two verses like Paul can. Amen. God, he can do it. Look at what he says. Now may the God of peace. Who's the God of peace? We saw that earlier. Melchizedek, the king of peace, the king of Salem, the Shalom, the king of Shalom, Jesus Christ. May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, wait a minute. You just said Jesus is the God of peace. How could he bring up Jesus from the dead? Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. 
the great shepherd. What did, who, what did Jesus call himself in chapter 10 of John? I am the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now watch this. Here's where the theology gets deep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Whose blood is that? The blood of Jesus Christ. Make you perfect. That's what that word complete means. It means perfect. May the blood, uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Absolutely perfect. In every good work to do his will. He doesn't just make you perfect so you're going to make it to heaven. He makes you perfect so you can do his will in every good work. In everything you do for him, you can be perfect by his blood. Working in you what is well-pleasing, sanctifying you by his blood. That's what's pleasing to him. He works in you to make you more and more like himself by his blood, by the power of his blood. In his sight, you're all in his sight. The good shepherd's got you right in his sight. And you're going to be well-pleasing to him in his sight by his blood. Through Jesus Christ, watch this, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, he didn't stop there. He, 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 Paul was notorious for saying in conclusion and then keep right on going. <laughs> amen. Is that not an amen? amen? To whom be glory and glory forever. Amen. Over in Isaiah chapter 42, you know what the Lord Jehovah says? He says, I will share my glory with no one. Well, how can that be? This, the author of Hebrews tells us that all glory belongs to Jesus Christ forever. That means before time and after time, forever and ever, amen. How can that be? Because as Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now, this for sure tells you this is Paul because look at the next verse. And I appeal to you, brethren, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation I've given you, for I have written to you in a few words. <laughs> Just like this is a short sermon. Yeah, we know that's Paul, right? I've written you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy, who did Paul hang out with? Timothy has been set free. And if you pray for me, I shall see you with him shortly, with whom I shall see you if I, he comes shortly. Greet all those saints who rule over you, all the leaders, all the elders who lead you, and all the, and all the saints. Those from Italy, from Rome. Where was Paul at when he was in prison? In Rome. Greet you. Now you can come up with all sorts of uh, guesses as to who the author is, but when I got a guy who's in prison who's in Rome, who knows Timothy, who says a long letter short, then I, I'm pretty sure if it smells like it and tastes like it and feels like it, it's Paul. So I believe Paul wrote this letter. And the icing on the cake, the icing on the cake is the way he closes it. Grace to you all. Amen. Not get to work, not become a bit better, not go to church more. Grace to you all. What's the theme of our book? What's, what have we been learning here? 
We've been learning how we're to get into the holiest of holies. How do we get there? Well, he spent 13 chapters showing us how we get there. But you want to sum it up? You can sum it up in two words. By grace. That's how you get into the holiest of holies. By the grace that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us perfect. Not by law. Not by works. See, that message is becoming less and less popular in the church today. What you call the main camp. I'll tell you this right now. If by faith you believe that Jesus Christ made the world as we see the world, out of the things visible, out of things invisible, as the Bible says, hey, you're going to be outside the camp. If by faith you believe that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, you're going to be outside the camp. If by faith you believe that, that maybe not by faith, but if you believe that homosexuality is a sin, along with a lot of other sins, but that particular one seems to be the one everybody wants to focus on in our society today, but if you believe it's a sin, you're going to be outside the camp. But the most troubling thing is if you believe there's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ, you can assume find yourself outside the camp. But so be it. Because you're in good company outside the camp. Elijah operated outside the camp. Paul operated outside the camp. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, was crucified outside the camp. And that's where I find Jesus Christ. And that's where I enter his presence in the holiest of holies. Man, that's amazing grace. Grace be with you all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for, for your word and we thank you for this book that you've given us that just shows us the way into your holiest of holies. Lord, let us never forget to come through that altar of the cross when we seek you, when we come to you. Lord, to, to recognize that it's by his blood, by eat, drinking of his blood and eating of his body that, that we have life, the eternal life, Lord. We have grace and to, to live this life in your sight. Lord, we thank you, we praise you for all you've done for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.